1: Yes, it is indeed, and hour number two is underway at 8 minutes past 10 o'clock on this Wednesday, the 21st morning of the 11th month of the year of Our Lord 2018. And if I haven't said it yet, and if I don't say it later, consider it said now. I wish you and yours a very happy and blessed Thanksgiving holiday. Hope you have a wonderful uh, experience with family. Do yourself a favor. Don't talk politics over turkey. I say that not jokingly, really. I mean, all right, half-jokingly. Um... I continue to correspond with and interact with people who are friends, like close personal friends, and others who are just more acquaintance and Facebook friends, that sort of thing. Marriages are being being broken up over politics. Families are being broken up. Children in college aren't talking to their parents. Uh, Parents aren't talking to their kids home from college because of political disagreements, as indoctrination continues to happen at campuses all across America relationships are being ended, work associations, jobs are being quit. I mean, I'm not kidding you. Politics in this country right now is so divided, so divisive, uh, it's ruining families and ruining a lot of people's uh, existences as they know them. So no joke enjoy family enjoy your time enjoy the blessings one another uh share with uh you know with one another and and remember what it is it's a time to give thanks not a time to question or critique etc cetera, etc cetera. give thanks and enjoy one another's company while you, while you have the opportunity you can go back to fighting with one another on black friday but please do not ruin the holiday and make sure that you travel safely all right i told you we are guest free today but that was before i made my connection with our regular wednesday guest ryan mora from the clarion project and we're going to talk to ryan in just a moment about What about the breaking news with respect to Saudi Arabia? Did the crown prince know about, did the crown prince order the killing of a Washington Post columnist uh, who was murdered uh, in the Saudi embassy in Turkey? The president uh, said, regardless of whether he knew the crown prince knew or even ordered it, we cannot do anything to Saudi Arabia without upsetting, essentially, the rest of the world's economy
2: the president citing national security and economic security as major concerns
1: i'm not going to destroy the world economy and i'm not going to destroy the economy
3: for our country by being foolish with saudi arabia but
2: the President siding with saudi arabia is already getting negative reviews from both sides of the aisle senator bob corker referring to the white house as a public relations firm for the crown prince of saudi arabia and senator mark warner calling the move a failure to hold saudi arabia responsible
1: i don't know too many people who in- know more about the Middle East, the politics in, terrorism, and more than Ryan Morrow. Ryan joins us now. He is, of course, uh, the chairman of the Clarion Intelligence Network. He's the Shulman Fellow at the Clarion Project and, of course, our national security analyst and expert. Ryan, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, sir. How are you?
4: I'm doing very well. Happy Thanksgiving. And by the way, I really appreciate what you said uh, just a minute ago about people not talking about Politics, or, or I'll throw in religion as well. Um, if there's religious differences at Thanksgiving, because I'm not exaggerating when I say this, if this holiday, if you you're unable to talk about um, it, to, to resist the temptation to get into political arguments, um, then that's a sign that our country isn't going to make it. Like I, I'm really not exaggerating when I say that, um, because the more I think about it, uh, the political environment and how dysfunctional. And devices, uh, things are getting. Um, that might be what the destruction of the United States essentially looks like. At least, I think you're mind.
1: right. Yeah, I think you're right that, uh, you know, just destruction from within. And, uh, yeah, if, if somebody is passing the cranberry and somebody uses the word Trump, accept the tr- cranberry and change the subject to the football game that's on later in the Cowboys. If somebody says the name Pelosi or Clinton or taxes or caravan, ta- start talking about, uh, what the kids want for Christmas. Do not fall into the trap. Don't let it ruin your family. It is, um, I mean, the, you know, as we always say, you know, Ryan, the, the, the country is made up of a whole bunch of individual little countries, our families, our nuclear families are the backbone, the core, the foundation of what makes each uh, community, which makes each state, which makes our nation great. And if we crumble at that level, then the entire thing does indeed fall apart. I totally, totally agree with you. Okay, uh, Ryan, let's dig I'm into glad this now. I didn't know if I was being over the top, but <laughs> no, no, I don't think so, Ryan. You know, I mean, okay, let's go here a little further. Then why not? Because you know we 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 often talk about the destruction of the family as as being the cause for so many of the social ills we have in this country right now um you know in terms of 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 ability to rise up out of poverty, uh, inability to uh, get kids through school, to graduate high school, and if need be, and if de- it's their desire and their and their ability to get on to college, all of these things are in jeopardy because of the destruction of the family. The fact that, you know, so many children are born out of wedlock. The fact that so many children, millions of them, are being raised in a single-parent house without the loving, guiding influence of a mother and a father. You know, all of these things about the destruction of our our, our nuclear family, our base of operations, if you will, have led to so much strife. It leads to crime. It leads to poverty. It leads to uh, you know runaways. It leads to young suicides. Uh, yeah, I I don't think it's crazy to say that the destruction of the family is the biggest threat that we face. Bigger than Russia. Bigger than China. Bigger than than North Korea. The destruction of our, of our family from within. So why you know why would we want to engage in that and further disassociate ourselves from our family at a time when we're supposed to unite and come together at a time like Thanksgiving.
4: Yeah, and what's amazing to me is how our adversaries, with Russia getting the most attention, but I I see evidence of Turkey and uh, I believe Iran and China doing this as well, is that all of our adversaries realize this. Like, what an amazing opportunity, because to them, the biggest threat isn't even the U.S. military or or the U.S. economy. The fact that our system functions, and it works, and there's movements around the world to replicate it, and if they can make it so that it's dysfunctional, uh, whether it's through online operations that uh, are purposely trying to inflame passions and turn people against each other or, or whatever, they recognize that they can contribute to that, uh, then you defeat the United States ideologically. And we've never faced that before. I mean, even in, during the Cold War, ideologically, we were beating the snot out of the communists. It was mostly a military threat, and we knew that there were people oppressed from within. Have we ever actually faced a situation where Americans, and much less, much more people around the world, will look at our system and say, the experiment failed, so we need to look to an entirely new concept, because look at the Americans and, and how they can't get by. They can't get through Thanksgiving even anymore. That's the situation we're facing now. Our enemies do realize
1: that is a great observation it 's something I hope people realize uh, because they are they 're waiting for us to uh, uh, to just destroy ourselves, and that 's when we 're vulnerable and uh, and I could not agree more um, Ryan to the you know you and I have discussed things for the last couple of years on the air about saudi arabia and i 've asked you how even going back into the Obama administration, how it is and why it is that Democrat administrations and Republican administrations alike. Have never stood up to Saudi Arabia. We know that they are one of the world's worst violators of human rights. We know that they are a a Muslim uh, a theocracy uh, that 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 adheres to Sharia law, and the most severe form of all of that is Wahhabism. Uh, you know they they stone people still. They cut off hands. They uh, you know they practice uh, you know female genital mutilation, which they do in the United States now too, sadly and terrifyingly. But anyway, I've asked you. How it is we continue to stay such close allies and partners with them. And we've talked about, you know, the, the, you know, the energy industry essentially as being one of the main reasons why we can't jeopardize our relationship with them. So Republicans and Democrats alike have stayed in bed with a hateful, disgusting, human rights violating enemy like Saudi Arabia. Well, I'm guessing that's the exact reason why President Trump is saying we can't do anything here. We're mad at the crown prince for doing, for maybe ordering or at least knowing about a murder and doing nothing to stop it. But what do you want us to do? Give all of the leverage in the world to China and Russia by cutting off Saudi Arabia and sanctioning them and losing our relationship with them? Can you make any sense of all of that, Ryan? I,
4: I can try to. Um, basically, uh, yes, it True that the immediate uh, answer that you get from everyone uh, that this is about sheer political corruption and as well as geopolitics and oil—that's all true. Um, it, it, it's all those considerations, including especially the bribery that goes on through the Saudi influence operations that all of these wealthy uh, theocracies and, and wealthy dictators do. Um, but it doesn't change the reality. Like, look at Obama how shortly before he became president, in many interviews, he was talking much more about the Saudi threat than the Iranian threat. Uh, Then he gets in there, and he changes his mind. He didn't have experience. He he wasn't up to speed on the consequences of jeopardizing our relationship with the Saudi royal family as much as we may detest it. Trump, the same thing. I mean, Trump was talking about smashing OPEC, and, and, and he hated dependence upon Saudi Arabia, even if he did do business with them. Um, He was quite open about it. And then he gets in there and he changes his mind. There's a reason for that. When you take people that are so different, like Trump and Obama, and you put them in a situation like that and they react the same way, then that means that that these reasons are powerful and it's not not just about political corruption. It is about American interest and just reality. So the choice that the United States fundamentally has here uh, is we either – try to overthrow the Saudi royal family, you sanction them, and you really go after them, and you deal with a horrifically bloody civil war that probably splits the country into five pieces and is a catastrophe for the global economy and all of our enemies advance, and many, many people die, and you might have U.S. military intervention, so you've got a war on your hands, or you hope that there can be positive incremental change and for the first time in the history of U.S.-Saudi relations, we actually have a chance of that happening under the crown prince. You don't have to love him, but we actually have a somewhat viable strategy with him in there uh, by wanting to modernize, wanting to even lift some elements of Sharia law in the Northwest, uh, wanting to bring in modern influences, even hints at allowing churches to be built. It's so far below our standards. But at least there's a viable path forward towards improving the situation and ultimately solving it that never existed before. So, and that has to be the number one condition for
1: our
5: consideration.
1: So despite all of the criticism, as you just heard in that news report, from both sides, including his own party, you think the president is taking the prudent approach here?
4: Yes, yes. And because of my own criticism of Trump, I'll admit that I was a little bit biased when I first read the headline, because I thought... Uh, all these headlines saying that he's defending the Saudi government um, and going overboard with it, I thought, yeah, that's probably true, no need to really read further. Then I pulled up the transcript, and this is one of those transcript moments that everyone who cares about this issue, before you open your mouth, read the transcripts of the entirety of what Trump said, very different from how the media is characterizing it. Which
1: is why he continues to fight with them and call them fake news and call them the enemy of the people. Ryan, that is so crucially important. And I know you're not playing politics here. You have been a Trump critic. I think you're, a, I think you're a fair guy, a straight shooter. And I try to be too. Thanks. Balls and strikes. You know, I will criticize the president when criticism is warranted. I will defend him to the hilt against his enemies when they are being unfair to him. And this is one of those examples where he has constantly talked about the enemy of the people. How does it serve the people, the readers, for the media to present that headline, Trump defends royal family, defends crown prince, et cetera, et cetera. And as you said, that is so misleading compared to what he actually said. And if you're not serving the people, you are disserving the people. You are not serving the people, and thus, in my estimation— you are the enemy of the people in that regard, and that's exactly what the president has constantly said. Uh, Ryan, I need to wrap here because we're short on time. But uh, next time we talk, there was a um, uh, a ruling uh, today that that I just found out about. Actually, uh, about the judge in um, the female genital mutilation case. Where was that? Was that in Minnesota or was that in Michigan? Uh, they have. I think it was Minnesota. I it was Minnesota. Yeah, I just saw the headline this morning. I did not read the rest of the story yet, but I believe the judge in that case, the charges were dropped. Essentially, in the first f- uh, federal genital mutilation, mutilation case case in the U.S. No, it was Michigan. It's a Detroit judge. Uh, against it uh, with the oh, charges okay yeah yeah, going on. yeah yeah has dropped uh, nearly all the charges against the michigan doctor accused of performing female genital mutilation we'll talk about that another time i don't want to ruin everybody's appetite for thanksgiving turkey by discussing that right now it's horrific but we'll talk about that next week ryan thank you for coming on once again and i re- really wish you and uh and all of yours a blessed thanksgiving all
4: right thank you
1: Thank you, Ryan. God bless. All right, that's Ryan Morrow, uh, our national security analyst from the Clarion Project. It's 1022. Let's get out now and come back in with your phone calls. I see a lot of people who want to get in. Let's take your calls next right here on the Bob France Authority.
0: But if you have a change.
1: All right, 1026 now. The Bob Branson Authority continues. I want to get as many phone calls as possible. We're talking about Lance Mason being hired by Frank Jackson uh, despite his horrific attempted murder and violent, violent abuse of his wife four years ago. And now he finished the job and killed her uh, earlier this week. And um, so many prominent Democrats in Cuyahoga County uh, supported his release from prison after just nine months and his hiring by the Jackson administration. You want to get into that? We can do it. If you want to talk about the Saudi Arabia situation that I just talked with Ryan Moore, you can do it. And if you want to talk about Thanksgiving politics, you can do that, too. That's a, it was a really, really important conversation I think we just had. For now, though, we'll go to North Olmsted and see what Therese wants to talk about. Thank you for your patience, Therese. You're on the air. Go right ahead.
6: Oh, hi, Bob. I'm in the kitchen making cranberry sauce, and I must say, enough <laughs> of the ranting. I think we should be thankful that we're not turkeys. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, think two, uh, two of, the of
1: thing. them, peas and carrots, got pardoned yesterday. Did you see oh, the I president's. Knew. I saw that. I saw he had that. some fun anyways, with that. Yeah, it was cute. I
6: met you at the Time Warp bar for the uh, fundraiser for Corrigan, and I oh, think right. there was a little awakening there. They say our property taxes will be a surprise now in the mail. So maybe that was a little ploy. Lord only knows. But I think we need to remember also that tomorrow, the 22nd, is the 55th anniversary. Of uh, the death of uh, JFK, so maybe maybe there will be a little blessing, uh, an awakening. Well, well I can, we can only we'll we can see.
1: only hope so. Yeah, we can only hope so because well, we God
6: need God it. Have a, a wonderful Thanksgiving to you, and Therese, your, and the same and to you partner. and your
1: family. You work right. on that cranberry, make it good. I'm glad she's making. Did you hear that? Does anybody make cranberry besides Therese, or do you just? Pop the can open and empty it out and then slice it up in little slices. It's got the can indentions on the side of, excuse me, of the uh Sorry about that, but it's got the uh, indentions of the can on the side of the cranberry and they need to slice it up and serve it. I didn't know anybody made cranberry anymore. I thought it, just, it came out of a can. That's where cranberry originated. Uh, North Bridgeville, next. Kay, you are on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning. Go right ahead. Hello, Kay. Can you hear me? K going once, K going twice, K in North Ridgeville is gone thrice. Sorry about that, Kay. Tony in South Euclid instead. Tony, go ahead. You're on the air.
5: Yes, thank you, Tony from South Euclid. Yeah, I would like to just mention our, our family is very political all the time, not just around Thanksgiving time. And I'd like to give the folks out there that have uh, – problem communicating over the Thanksgiving dinner, and arguments may happen. The the best solution that we have found, or I have found myself, is that if you ask the opposing person with po- opposing comments a lot of questions and do a lot of listening, because a lot of times people just want to vent and express themselves. And if you can do that and listen, it it'll, I think, ease a lot of the 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 problems and arguments at your thanksgiving dinner that's all
1: but but you know what uh, tony i wish you you know I, I like your your optimism uh and 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 your hopefulness um but people don't want to listen without responding because if what they hear is something that is just so offensive to their sensibilities um it, it's hard to not respond for example just for the sake of the argument there's a big story in Ohio right now. The Ohio House has passed again the uh, fetal heartbeat bill, making abortion illegal after six weeks, or roughly at the time that a, that heartbeat can be detected. Um, if somebody at your table brings that up and says that's terrible, it should still be a woman's right to choose. Uh, you know, into the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth month for crying out loud, because that's what a lot of people believe. It's all the way, all the way up it's hard, right, to sit there and listen to that and not respond. And your response is going to be a very, very negative one on almost every circumstance. It's going to lead to that brawl at the table. That's why it's best not to even bring it up, I think.
5: Well, my response is, um, my belief is, it it, it is a tough one. It is a tough one. But my, my personal belief, which a lot of people, of course, would disagree, is the woman comes first. And then government comes second to decide what you want. And that's all I can leave it at because there's always going to be controversy, but I'm not a woman. I, as a man, I even should even vote on it because I don't know what it's like to be a woman and to be pregnant or to be raped or to want to
1: have an abortion. Well, yeah, Now, Tony, now we're getting into the actual debate of the substance of the point. I just used that as an example. The point is, you and I just discussed it, and now we're about to argue about it, because I disagree with you. And that's why I don't want to do that at Thanksgiving dinner. That's why you can't bring these things up. You just got to talk about the weather. You got to talk about football that's on TV. You got to talk about plans for the Christmas holiday, and so on and so forth. But don't be lulled into that trap. It is so easy to do. And, Tony, you just provided the exact example thank you my friend we're back after
0: What.com. com progressive democrats please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die this is the bob france authority on am 1420 the answer
1: time to celebrate indeed celebrate the holiday celebrate your family Celebrate togetherness, people coming in from different areas of the country to be together, kids coming home from college, celebrate it. Don't turn it into a war zone. In fact, you know what? I I feel like I, I shouldn't be lecturing. I'll ask instead of tell. Do you talk politics at your Thanksgiving table? Especially if you know there is a disagreement among certain political ideology among members of the family. Or do you steer clear altogether? I know people who are not having their traditional Thanksgivings tomorrow because certain members of the family will not sit at the table with other members of the family based on their politics. Kid you not. They don't want to fight with each other, so they're saying, you know what, we're going to have ours over here, you have yours over there, and they will not even come together. It's sad. It is destructive. But it's reality. I suggest come to the table. Steer clear. Don't bring it up. By the way, I was about to say, I can bring it up now because we're not over Thanksgiving dinner, right? I can do this now on the radio. I want to follow my friend's lead at Ohio Values Voters, and I want to encourage you to contact your state senator here in the state of Ohio about that heartbeat bill that I just used as an example with my caller. The pro-life heartbeat bill HB 258 passed the Ohio House by a veto-proof margin of 60 to 35. Now it's got to get through the Senate. Even though outgoing Governor John Kasich can veto it and has indicated that he probably will because he has never been a pro-life conservative. He has never been anything he purported to be. He is a, a Democrat wearing Republican colors, and it is an abomination, but... The next step does have to be made, and that is to get through the Senate. And Ohio Values Voters has listed on their Facebook page uh, the phone numbers for every Ohio senator. I have shared them on my Facebook page, which is France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. Take a look, find your senator, or call all of the senators and say, we want the heartbeat bill passed. This is of crucial importance. We want this to get past the Senate as well and put this in front of John Kasich. Make him sign a veto. Make him put a bring out his big veto stamp and say, no, I don't care if babies are killed even after their heartbeats are detected. Let's make that happen. Let's put it in his court and hope that maybe God will, will somehow... Divine upon him the wisdom to do the right thing. Let's make sure this passes. So that's on my Facebook page, France Radio, and it's also on the Facebook page for Ohio Values Voters. Please make sure that you do that. But I was just using that as an example with my last caller. Uh, secondly, I want to share this before I go back to the phones. I want to share this about uh, Lance Mason, uh, again, who has been accused now of killing his wife some four years after, a little less than four years, I guess it would be, after beating her to nearly uh, nearly to death. She had to have facial reconstructive surgery when he was done punching her and smashing her face into the dashboard of their SUV while their children looked on from the back seat in absolute horror. He served only nine months in prison for that and then came out and was hired this past spring by Frank Jackson, put on the actual city payroll to do a job. That, quite honestly, they could have had a heck of, in fact, they did have a heck of a lot of other um, uh, applicants for. And now the mayor is being asked the question, why did you give this violent, violent felon a city job? Was this a political favor? Here's some coverage from uh, uh 19 News.
2: ...holding them accountable with team coverage of this horrible crime. We are asking why Cleveland hired former Judge Lance Mason after he served prison time for attacking his wife.
1: And Mason was actually named Minority Business Development Administrator last year after pleading guilty to domestic violence. Paul Orlowski live getting
0: answers after sitting down with the mayor. Paul.
7: Well, we arrived here at the mayor's office at City Hall bright and early this morning, and at first it appeared that he wasn't going to address this issue, that he was not going to come out and talk to us. We camped out in the hallway. Eventually, they agreed to come on out. Their original thought was that they had addressed this about a year or so ago, a little over a year, when Lance Mason was hired. But clearly, given the severity of these new charges and all the questions all weekend long, how was he hired, how was he hired, we had to ask the question,
1: how was he hired in the first place and why? He was hired, by the way, I think I said in the spring, I meant the spring of 2017. So obviously about two years ago, not the spring of 2018. So in other words, shortly, what, about a year after he got out of prison. That's when he was hired by the mayor. Here's the rest of that
0: report from Channel 19. There was a job posting, and uh, he applied for the job. And uh, he went through the process.
7: This is the application that Lance Mason submitted to the city for his job. It lists his education previous jobs and accomplishments. It makes no mention of his having been in prison. In fact, nowhere on the application is the question asked. Mayor Frank Jackson says that's on lie.
0: purpose. We hire ex-felons, so we, we have uh, uh, a second chance
7: program. The city's rationale is that if the question of a felony conviction is asked, applicants tend to lie if it's asked. Question or not, the city checks backgrounds, and Mason's past beating of his wife was headlines for days, so everyone already knew about it. Jackson is keenly aware that he'd be questioned about the hiring in the wake of this weekend's events. So, is the charge that it was a political favor way offline? There, there was no political favor. Right. Well, you've been around politics a long time. Right.
0: You knew you were going to hear that. Well, of course. I mean, there, there are people where everybody knows the conspiracy. Everybody knows what the backroom deal was, and it, and and but is, um, and they reject the obvious. The obvious is there was an opening, and the man applied for it he won the process he got hired you know uh, i did not give him a job jackson admits that, that he has supported somebody. mason's political
7: campaigns yeah, in, in the, in the past but position. stopped short so of calling him a friend
0: i know him because he uh, was an elected official right. and and i've met him on a few occasions i never i don't know him uh in a in a personal way like that some in political
7: circles have rolled their eyes at that last comment. i That's, that's what the mayor said, and there, there you can make your own decisions. If you'd like to see that entire interview, we're going to post that.
1: My decision, uh, it was made the moment he hired him, and I will second it now and double down on it. The mayor gave him a job because he is a Democrat and because he is a black Democrat, period. That's it. He's a felon, a violent felon but one who shares Frank Jackson's characteristics, and he is going to do everything he can to do favors for people like that, including, and I'm talking about Democratic office holders. He's a former state senator and a judge. And Frank Jackson, I promise you, if Lance Mason was a white Republican and applied for the same job with the same background, would never have sniffed an interview. Disagree with me if you wish. But Jackson wasn't the only prominent Democrat to have Lance Mason's back after he beat the living daylights out of his wife and sent her into reconstructive facial surgery. He was also supported by prominent Democrats like Representative Marsha Fudge, and I talked about her two segments ago. Marsha Fudge declared that this was just a momentary lapse in judgment. It's not the real. (laughs) It's not the real Lance Mason because she knows the real Lance Mason. And the real Lance Mason is a kind, intelligent, loyal man and friend. A man who's an advocate for the people of his community. Whether as a county prosecutor or state senator or common pleas judge, he's so well respected and well liked. And I commend Lance for immediately recognizing he needed help and entering counseling. And he accepts full responsibility for his actions. Marsha Fudge's judgment is, is, is as horrific on this case as it is on anything she's ever voted for in her 10 years in Congress, and yet we sent her back. I commend him for recognizing he needed help in entering counseling. He just beat the living crap out of somebody, his wife, in front of his kids and was facing decades in prison. He went into counseling to try to mitigate the sentence and limit it to the two years he got. And then to use it to say, I, I've been a really good person and I've and I'm in counseling to get out after just nine months. You're commending him for recognizing he needed help. Marsha Fudge is ignorant. Lance accepts full responsibility for his actions, as if his choice was what? He did what he did. She's in the hospital, she's she's getting surgery, the children watched it, they're traumatized. What's he supposed to say? Wasn't me? How does he not accept full responsibility? Anyway, my rant about this uh, about a half an hour ago uh, caught the attention of Beverly Goldstein. Beverly Goldstein was Marsha Fudge's opponent in the congressional race this past November 6th in District 11. And Beverly sent me a note asking me to share this on the air. And I will concur, because it was a huge mistake for the voters of District 11 to vote for Marsha Fudge anyway. This is very significant, writes uh, Beverly Goldstein, with respect to my campaign, because I spent three years explaining to the voters of District 11 that in no forum and on no issue does Marsha Louise Fudge vote on behalf of our constituents. Never. Never. She may have known Lance Mason well from working with him in Stephanie's office. I knew Lance Mason. He was my senator and I've had conversations with him in the past. When somebody can do to his wife what he did 2 years ago, when he literally beat the crap out of her in front of their or in the car in front of their children, requiring her to have complete reconstructive facial surgery, and Marcia feels like it's a job to her job to intercede and get this dangerous man out of prison early is a horrible action and outcome. I attended the ninth Annual Vigil at the home of Anthony Sowell on Imperial Avenue several weeks ago. The whole reason for the annual event is to remind the murdered women, or to remember, rather, the murdered women, and to make sure we keep reminding our legal system and those in authority that we are letting dangerous people out of prison too soon. Without the proper rehabilitation and without some closing psychological assessments to determine whether we really think any person, any given person, is safe to be on the street again. So good old Marcia gets promised some really nice assignment from good old Nancy, and the people of Cuyahoga County and District 11 are just get left with the devastating murder. This murder is lifelong damaging for so many children and families from the so many years that they had this wonderful woman in their life as their teacher, not to minimize the lifelong devastation to the whole immediate family and especially their children. No one will be able to remove the agony from this murder, and Marcia Fudge had a very clear and direct role in allowing Lance Mason to be in the position to murder Aisha. Beverly Goldstein, Beverly for Congress. I could not agree with her more. Every word is true, and it is a shame. And by the way, the shame is not just hers, Marsha Fudge's, for backing uh, Lance Mason. There is a list, Cleveland.com put this together, actually, a list of some of the very prominent people that uh, supported her, the many prominent people that supported him, rather, excuse me, Lance Mason, in this case, letters of, of uh, support and endorsement were offered by the likes of Marsha Fudge, but also John Russo, Holly Gallagher, Brendan Sheehan, even Joan Sinnenberg, former Judge Ron, Ronald S- uh, Suster, Judge-elect Bill McGinty, were among those who condemned the attack, but through the weight of their reputations behind Mason's character. And I think that speaks to the judgment of a lot of them. Kay, oh, we're back to Kay. We'll see if we can get around the air this time. Kay in North well, can you hear me?
6: Hi, Bob. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, I got you. Go ahead, Kay.
6: Oh, yay! Okay, finally. Um, yes, I. By the way, I am making cranberry salad too. By the way, oh, good for you. I'm good for my, you. I'm <laughs> my cranberries and my walnuts right now. Wonderful. Um, yes, I had. I just have two comments, and the first comment it's about it's about this um, the teacher that was murdered. Um, yes. My my first thought is where is the Me Too movement? Where are these women's outrage? Where are these women that put on their pink vagina hats and, you know, protested against mm-hmm. uh, Bill Kavanaugh, who was not Brett even, Kavanaugh. Brett, Brett Kavanaugh was not even right. guilty um, of what he was accused of doing. Where is their outrage? Secondly, where is the outrage of the black community? When will they stop making excuses and deflecting the problem? And saying this is uh, systemic. There's, um, you know, too much overcrowding in jails. They're black men. They need to, to be released because the population in the jail is too high with the black community. When is the outrage going to stop? When is when are they going to look at their community and say enough is enough? We need to hold each other accountable for the violence that is happening against each other well, and in our community.
1: To Where to to, to answer it. that in part, I will say there is a portion of the black community that does indeed, uh, uh you know, sound this this call, including the likes of Peter Kersenau uh, and, and and many others, Larry Elder, who who sound this call, but they are derided as being, you know, uh, right. uh, used by the by the, the their white masters. They're being exactly. called Uncle Toms, this that and the other thing, and it's, it's horrific, but. Yeah, but it really is. But but in truth, what I would say is, as people, I don't care if we're white or black, we need to call out uh, all of those who would continue to try to pull people, whether it's for racial reasons or not, out of prison early just for the sake of evening out the numbers and the disproportionate populations of our federal and state prison systems. Um, and, and, and that is that is the big problem here. So many people look at it and say the prison system is unfair, it's racist, it's biased against uh, uh, people of color because look at the number of people in prison uh, who are of the various uh, races and and disproportionately affecting them. And that's fine, but you have to recognize one of two or actually two different things. Number one, look at the number of actual violent crimes committed by various races to determine whether or not it's unfairly disproportionate. Disproportionate is one thing. Unfairness is another. And then number two, I don't care if you're black or white or brown or yellow or orange or pink or green or blue with purple polka dots. If you're a violent felon and you've only been in prison nine months and you've done something like like, like what Lance Mason did, you don't get to get out early. You We cannot, and that's what this First Step program that President Trump is, um, is endorsing is all about. It's about letting people out early, and they say, well, no, no, no. That's only about nonviolent felons, nonviolent drug offenders. But if you watch and look at the language of the law, do you know how many violent people are going to be included in that? And we're going to turn them loose to finish, finish the jobs they started just like uh, Lance Mason did. It is absolutely reprehensible, and I don't care what color the, 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 per, the perpetrator, the criminal, the prisoner is, or what color the victim is. This cannot be done in a civil, decent society. Back after this. It's my own design. It's my
8: own On the battlefield, there's a saying America's military men and women live by. Never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Off the battlefield, Wounded Warrior Project operates with the same goal. We leave no warrior behind. Wounded Warrior Project is a nonprofit organization created to help our men and women returning home with the scars of war. Whether those scars are physical or mental, we're here to make sure that they heal. And whether it's helping those with post-traumatic stress disorder live a normal life again, are giving much needed support to injured warriors and veterans' hospitals because no one deserves our help more than the men and women who risk their lives to keep us safe. Wounded Warrior Project. We never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Learn more about what we do at woundedwarriorproject.org.
0: This is Larry Elder. Every day, in every way, we make the argument that the individual needs to be empowered we got to get the government off the backs of job creators as my dad used to say i never got a job from a poor person let's stop making people who want to make a buck a villain let's start celebrating people that take risks after all this country was built on people who take risks on the next Larry lariova show larry elder weekdays at 7 p.m here on am 1420 the answer
1: Final segment of the broadcast, and yes, final segment of our work week uh, is, uh, as far as our live shows goes, because coming up, or go, because uh, coming up tomorrow on Thanksgiving Day, we'll have a best of show, some of the best interviews and segments we've had in the last several months that we feel like you might enjoy listening to again, or if you didn't listen for the first time, same thing will happen on Friday, then we're back live on Monday uh, for the next live edition of the Bob France Authority. So for now, let's finish it with a couple of strong calls. Dan in Middleburg Heights, you are on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Dan.
3: Morning, Bob, I want to make two comments uh, very quickly, one on Marcia Fudge and then on Saudi Arabia. Marsha Fudge, it's pathetic that, that the United States has a person like her walking around the House of Representatives that might have been Speaker of the House if she wanted to run, possibly. Nobody knows on a national level that she represents, you know, uh, a, a dump of a city like East Cleveland, and then you can lump it with Frank Jackson and all those other people. It's pathetic. Two, Saudi Arabia, Trump in the end, along with Obama, had to make the right decision. Saudi Arabia, from the beginning, didn't dig the holes for the oil in Saudi Arabia. It's American interest and in engineers who built up their whole country and were basically a hired gun for them to protect them from everybody else in their region and the world. So that's why Trump had to do what he did, because we built Saudi Arabia. They didn't uh, you know, discover the oil on their own. And uh, that is uh, that is comment. a fair,
1: that is a fair point, although they of course still control the price of the oil coming from the ground there. We may have built it, but they control it, and it 's one of the reasons why we 've had to be as um, uh, it looks like we lost him it 's one of the reasons we have have to be as careful as we are in managing our relationship with them, as Ryan uh, Morrow correctly pointed out and look the world economy. It is oftentimes you can say it's driven by energy and energy prices. And those nations which control the energy and the flow of oil and so on and so forth, um, they can pick and choose, you know, which countries they do business with. And to cut off ties with Saudi Arabia by way of establishing sanctions and imposing sanctions upon them, it would be a great benefit to China and Russia. And the president not wanting to do that, by the way, totally, totally. Um, off the cuff here, this analysis but it just dawned on me, remember what the, the left wants you to believe, that Donald Trump is Vladimir Putin's puppet if Donald Trump was Vladimir Putin's puppet, he would establish or impose sanctions upon Saudi Arabia and thus benefit Russia, but the president is of course committed to do just the opposite of that, I hope uh, the left is paying attention Cheryl is in uh, Shaker Heights thanks for waiting Cheryl, you're on the air, go ahead
2: I, uh, yeah, I just want to remind everyone of what Marcia Fudge said following the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation. She called him an elitist, entitled misogynist with a temperament that should disqualify him from any court. Now, that's what she said about a man against whom there was no evidence that he had done anything to anyone at any time. Yet... She, this last person, she goes to bat for a man who almost beat his wife to death, and then ends up killing her, but almost beat her to death in front of his two daughters. That is a person whose temperament she's a perfectly fine with. I don't understand why people keep reelecting this woman. It is so clear that she cares nothing at all about the constituents in her district and the reason that she and frank jackson feel that they can support someone like Lance and then just walk around acting like oh well it's fine you know it happened we, we don't have to apologize for anything we don't have to, uh, to make any recompense for what we for who we supported the reason they feel that they can do that is because they know they have black constituents who are going to support them blindly no matter what
1: Cheryl, I could not have summarized that any better than you just did, and I'm so glad you remembered what uh, Marsha Fudge said after the Kavanaugh uh, situation. Thank you so much for the call. Thanks to everybody. This is my way of starting Thanksgiving early. Thanks to Samuel. Thanks to Josh and David and everybody who contributes to our show. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to my guests for appearing. Enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday, and I'll see you Monday right here on AM
8: 1420,
5: The Answer. Enjoy the silence.